0: Hey, hey, bum, bum, bum. Welcome to Trafe, a debatably Jewish podcast. So last week, we wrote our first article for Jew School, who we have a new collaboration with. And it was a continuation of the discussion we had last episode about the new interest in the concept of intersectionality happening in the institutional Jewish community. Yep. It's been a big week here at TRAF headquarters. But have you paid attention to the Jewish internet since we wrote this article?
1: Yeah, David, I understand that we need to be
0: humble here. But it kind of
1: feels like we broke the story.
0: <laughs> um, I don't know if I would say we broke the story, but there's definitely been dozens and dozens of intersectionality-related articles coming from the Jewish press. They're either, you know, saying intersectionality is the worst thing ever and has to be destroyed, or is trying to manipulate the language of intersectionality to try to fight against BDS.
1: Yeah, someone at the Forward tweeted something to the effect of intersectionality is the new intermarriage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's actually really funny.
1: Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely a boogeyman that the, has just trickled down so fast. For anyone who took my sarcasm seriously, I was joking. We clearly didn't break it,
0: but um, it's everywhere now. Yeah, and it's, to be honest, been a little overwhelming keeping track of all of these articles and reading through all of them because they're horrible. They're really hard to read, and a lot of them are actually really dangerous because they're presenting Zionism through an increasingly progressive and convincing language that I think a lot of us on the left are not particularly prepared for at the moment.
1: Shameless plug on our own podcast. Check out the article at Jewschool.com. Um
0: so, so what do we have on the show today, Sam?
1: It seems like there's a few things, but I don't think that I could let an intro go by without mentioning a random Bernie Sanders-related piece of information.
0: Uh, what do you got today, Sam?
1: So I was surfing the web, as, as, as I'm wont to do, and I came across a Washington Post article that was one of the first to really delve into Sanders and religion. On the whole, it wasn't particularly exciting. Bernie Sanders is basically your run-of-the-mill atheist. But the gem for me is a little tidbit of information related to Google and search terms. What do you mean? I mean that the phrase, is Bernie Sanders Jewish, is the most Googled phrase related to any (laughs) candidate in the American political election.
0: Oh, that's actually kind of interesting. Yeah. But what does that mean? I don't know um because apparently there's elements of the far right that are are starting to support him what did you hear about this no i didn't hear about this people in the gop who are like we support sanders
1: oh but no it's this whole strategic thing that in no, the I sense did. that they think that he's less winnable as a candidate than hillary
0: but what <laughs> about all those national polls where he beats trump by a farther margin than hillary does
1: i don't i, I don't know about these polls well that's more than enough bernie for the day i would agree do you want to answer the question that you originally posed as to what are we talking about on this episode? Sure.
0: Um, so today we're going to talk a bit about Tablet, the Jewish online magazine, what it is, why it's horrible.
1: We're also going to be talking with Liza Barrent of Jewish Voice for Peace about the canceled pinkwashing mobilization that happened at the Creating Change conference in Chicago. With that being said, this is your episode of Trafe for the 25th of Tevet, 5776. Regular listeners of the show... Uh, Thank you for listening. ...I double that sentiment, um, are probably quite familiar with the fact that we spend a bunch of time criticizing Jewish media outlets.
0: That's very true.
1: Yes. So there's the standard ones, your Canadian Jewish News, your Jewish Telegraphic Agency, sometimes the Daily Forward. One media organization that has escaped the wrath of Trafe Podcast has been Tablet. Now... In this whole kerfuffle about intersectionality and the institutional community relying on it in some bizarre way to counter BDS, uh, Tablet has become uh, uh, somewhat of an unsung hero, putting forth pretty terrible articles that don't explain intersectionality but try to uh, criticize it
0: yeah, and for me, like part of the reason that I didn't want to talk much about tablet is I didn't actually really know what it was. like I, I know it's a glossy online magazine. Very nice online magazine. Yeah, but I feel like most Jewish media that we cover has a little, really long history. It kind of are relics of a different age, but tablet's a lot different.
1: I think we should still spend another second discussing the fact that their website is shiny and
0: slick. Yeah, very fancy. Yeah. but yeah, do you, I mean, do you know any of the background on tablet?
1: To be honest, I know very little aside from the fact that they that they have a
0: pretty nice website. Do you? well i looked it up on the internet yeah well okay so the story behind tablet as far as i could find is that this guy named zalman bernstein who several sources refer to only as a a, quote investment whiz uh i have a question is it bernstein or Bernstein? it's definitely bernstein so this guy accumulated an enormous fortune in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So he, he
1: made all that money just being an investment whiz? Yeah. Okay.
0: And he left it all when he died to his wife, Mem Bernstein, and also put it in the form of several different foundations. But the one that we should be talking about is one that's called Karen Keshet, the Rainbow Foundation.
1: The, is that Those are Hebrew words, I have to assume? Well, Karen Keshet are, are two words in Hebrew. Do you know what they mean? I
0: have absolutely no idea.
1: There's Karen Kayemet. I assume it's the same Karen. I think
0: that it might just mean the Rainbow Foundation. It's very possible. Um, apologies to all our listeners who are far more fluent in Hebrew than us. This is just what you're getting today. Um, so Karen Keshet, again, uh, refers to Mem Bernstein's vision. And the signature project of Karen Keshet is, was an organization called NextBook. And NextBook was a publishing project. Uh, put a lot of Jewish books, a lot of art books, and was focusing on this on this vision. Did you come across any cultural production that NextBook had produced? Oh, I I actually don't remember a lot of the names of the books, but the the books were very well received. Like they they got a lot of buzz, people really into it. Eventually though, with the recession and with print media dying, Nextbook stopped most of its publishing. And their website, which was used to be called nextbook.org.
1: So but nextbook.org was purely a Jewish cultural website?
0: Yeah, it was essentially tablet before tablet. What do you
1: think they were trying to get at with the title?
0: They're putting up books. It's like pushing next the Jewish book. community forward instead of... Oh, OCC. Sense. this is
1: exactly what they were trying to do. They were trying to say,
0: you read the next book. I mean, it's pretty self-evident, I think. Uh, I disagree. Um, anyway, in 2009, nextbook.org became tabgutmag.com. They actually brought a couple of people over from the forward, Jonathan Rosen, who started their Arts and Letters column, uh, Alana Newhouse, who is a culture editor, and they created this new project, creating kind of a liberal Jewish cultural element that still maintained their right-wing politics around Israel and Zionism. Best of both worlds. Yeah. Their entire news and politics section seemed to have this distinct character from their cultural and arts section that until they became Tablet mostly defined what they were doing. And the thing that I want to stress here is that they've got a lot of money. Karen Keshet has $285 million in assets and provides Tablet with almost her entire budget of $5 million per year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like the $5 million is being used to write shitty articles about intersectionality.
0: Yeah, i have definitely seen Tablet hit their stride with this new topic.
1: Yeah. So to give us a better idea of what this all means, we got in touch with friend of the show and New York City media correspondent Jonathan Katz. Jonathan, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, Jonathan, did you read the, the Tablet article the, that James Kirchick wrote?
2: You know, it's like... There were three minutes that I could have spent doing so many things. I could have made myself a cup of tea. I could have bought a donut. But I read that article. So yes, I have read that article.
1: But Before we go any further, the name of the article is How Intersectionality Makes You Stupid. Yeah. And it was published on Tablet.com.
0: Yeah, and so in, in reading it as someone who is very familiar with the Jewish press, particularly in New York and the Jewish media world, what was your takeaway of how this fits into Tablet's approach to this kind of stuff?
2: I think in many ways, and I do try to sometimes take a nuanced view of Tablet. There is some Tablet content I like, especially around food. But there's, I think Tablet very much caters towards a fairly right-leaning sector of the Jewish population, and particularly a younger uh, right-leaning group. You know, it's very standard Tablet, like Israel at, on this golden pedestal, and then there's the lefty buzzword. And then why we should reject the lefty buzzword. And then there are the the ranting about intersectionality as this nebulous and evil thing. And the moment where you really know that they really don't understand it is where there's this line, Jews have the same responsibility and must use the same tools that LGBT people use to assert their own humanity and defend their human rights. But like from that line, it sounds like there are no LGBT Jews and as an LGBT Jew who is tired of sort of the Israel-centric twinge that so much LGBT Jewish organized life has been through in the past five, ten years. You know, it's kind of insulting to be like Jews and LGBT people as just two separate categories. You know, it's, it's, it's just it just shows a lack of understanding.
1: So Jonathan, as our New York City Jewish press correspondent, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about Tablet and who supports it and where some of the money comes from.
2: Um, so generally in my experience, as I think I've said earlier, tablet tends to cater to a more right-wing demographic in the Jewish population, and particularly younger right-wing demographic. I think we on the Jewish left sometimes forget that many younger Jews are, in fact, not left-wing. And I think tablets really cornered their readership in that it's sort of this hip, new, cool, but ultimately quite conservative outlook. And I'm not going to say that everyone on it is conservative. There are a lot of folks who write for Tablet that are quite left-wing, but it is definitely very much a fairly conservative outfit. Oftentimes, I've noticed on the Jewish internet that there seems to be a bit of a political divide between the Tablet and the Jewish Daily Forward. Uh, The Jewish Daily Forward seems to get a much more left-wing readership, even though, um, of course, many of the writers for the Forward are not necessarily left wing And in many ways, the Forward is publishing articles of a very different genre, sometimes from tablet, and oftentimes articles that are a lot more critical of, I would say, uh, mainstream Jewish history. Mm -hmm. I think one thing really to note here, as someone whose family is from South Africa and someone who is a South African citizen, is that tablet and the Times of Israel have also been repeatedly invested in, for example... um, kind of pushing away from history, the history that Jews have had, in that white Ashkenazi Jews were often complicit with the apartheid regime, whereas the foreword has published several articles discussing this very difficult history. There is this thing in diaspora studies about how nostalgia or siege mentality can really read this sort of very nationalist fervor. I feel Tablet really caters to that.
1: There was something in the article, just to return back before we let you go, at the end of the piece, uh, the tablet piece on intersectionality making you stupid, there was a line about how fear keeps Jews in their place. And that line just kind of hit me.
2: That line really hit me too. It's it's ironic. You know, fear keeps Jews in their place, but it also keeps Jews supporting the same broken solution, like an Israel that occupies the West Bank in Gaza. <laughs> or it also keeps people from speaking out against certain things. In many ways, ironic to see it in Tablet, In a magazine, that doesn't necessarily acknowledge the fear that many Jews who don't want to tour the party line feel in their Jewish communities.
1: Uh, well, first of all, thank you for what I hope is the first of several correspondences. Absolutely. And I was wondering... I mean, I know beyond being uh, one of the premier correspondents for Trafe that you also do some work of your own on the side. Do you want to talk about that before signing off?
2: Um, I'm trying to start a food blog, trying to get better at the food photography and the writing of it called Flavors of Diaspora. I'm trying to do a historical approach to Jewish food, also trying to push back against this cult of authenticity. I've also written in the past for the Jewish Daily Forward and New Voices magazine. And I should have some other freelance writing things coming up here to there.
0: Well, thanks again for keeping an eye
2: on things in New York for us. No worries. Thank you so much for the wonderful work you guys are doing at Trade.
0: Put down your tablet, get into the streets. It's time for (laughs) Shpaya. So this, this is my favorite segment of the show and I'm glad we're here. Because I am so tired of reading and talking about all of these horrible articles in the Jewish press. No, that's... You
1: don't have to um, so until me, two weeks from now when we decide to make another episode. So bring me away
0: to a nicer place, Sam. What do you got this week?
1: So my square is going to be a little different this week. I hope that's okay.
0: I think it's okay.
1: I'm staying within the form, but I'm... Let's say that I'm not sure about who I'm giving the square to and what I'm giving the square to until we finish the segment.
0: It uh, piqued my interest.
1: Okay. So... You no, know, it's Hanukkah time.
0: It's not Hanukkah time.
1: This is a hypothetical, David. Oh, uh, okay. Imagine, was... imagine it's Hanukkah time. Okay. You're they're... walking down the street, Okay. maybe downtown St. Catherine. For non Montreal listeners, that is the major commercial thoroughfare.
0: I'm imagining it snowing.
1: Maybe, but this year not
0: because it didn't snow. Yeah, so what's happening?
1: So you're just walking down the street, minding your own business. Maybe you have your, your headphones in your ear. Mm-hmm. And you hear someone yelling at you, but you're not sure if they're yelling at you. You just think maybe it's the crowded street. And then after like the second yell and the second hey, you're like, oh, this person's probably talking to me. Who is it? It's a kid, maybe 12 to 15 years old with a hat on and a coat. And he's asking you uh, what, what religious denomination you practice. Uh, so what do I tell him? He asks you more specifically if you're Jewish. So what do I say? Well, what would you normally say in that circumstance? Well, what does this guy look like? He's a 14 to 16-year-old kid. He has uh, a hat on, pay us, and a, and a suit, a suit coat. Uh, no, I've learned my lesson.
0: The answer is no, I'm afraid.
1: Okay, but you know what I'm talking about. hundred percent. What am I talking about, David?
0: Um, you're talking about the particular sect of Hasidic Judaism named Chabad or Lubavitch that are very dedicated to doing outreach among people who are what they would describe as non-practicing Jews in order to bring about their vision of the Messiah's arrival.
1: So here's the deal. I think I'm. I'm still not sure exactly what I'm giving it to, but I'm. It's around this kind of ability to mobilize.
0: Wait, wait, wait. So you're giving your shkoyach. To the fact that Chabad does outreach on the streets of Montreal?
1: No, not on, not on the streets of Montreal. Just sit back for a second, because I'm going to read you some facts about Chabad Lubavitch. What are
0: you talking about? So,
1: before the 1950s, there were probably several thousand members of Chabad Lubavitch. Between 1950 and the mid-1990s, there were between 50,000 and 200,000. There are now more than one million people who participate in Chabad services every year. They had more than 8 million Jews participate in 80 countries in their Hanukkah services. Yeah. Now, they, their definition of Hanukkah services might be a little expansive, like talking to you on the street and being rejected by you on the street might constitute one of those 8 million. I just think that it's astonishing, whatever, however you feel about what they do and what their effects are, that they have been able to mobilize this many people in this amount of time.
0: Yeah, in Thornhill, there's actually in the same town there are three separate Chabad locations.
1: Eighty countries, David. Forty-nine of the fifty U.S. states, according to Wikipedia.
0: Well, when you're describing that experience, it reminded me of when I was just out of high school. I was working in this comic book store, and every Friday, these two Chabad kids would come into the comic book store and try to convince me to fill in. Tefillin. And I was like fresh out of you know like modern Orthodox high school at that point and would argue with them and eventually got to the point where i had to ban them from the store because they just wouldn't stop coming in and harassing me gotta hand it to them they're For persistent reason. but
1: yeah. but i think like guess two people who are interested in social change and are interested in in mobilization i'm not saying this is a model but i'm saying that you have to give it to them
0: i just feel, i don't know how kind of weird. i just feel like this isn't where i wanted to be taken in my uh jewish press getaway
1: yeah well I don't know what to say. This is this is how I felt this week. This is what I brought to the table, and um, I believe that their mobilization skills have um, are, are deserving of my schvuyach for this week. All right. With that being said, is your schvuyach going to bring us to a certain uh, positive zone?
0: It just was like a it's just a bad week for a lot of things.
1: So you're saying you're condemning my schvuyach, but you brought a negative schvuyach to the table.
0: Well. Unfortunately, I have to reintroduce the anti-Schwerch this week, I think.
1: Ah, the old anti-Schwerch. Yeah. Who are you giving said anti Square to?
0: I'm giving my anti square to the general student body of the University of Waterloo. Uh,
1: so are we talking about an individual or a group or just no, the, the entire sp- student body personified? The entire student body. Not personified, just Not the entire student body. The
0: entire student body. entire student body. And this is continuing on a story that we were talking about a couple episodes ago about a referendum being triggered at the University of Waterloo in the Student Federation on campus as a result of a petition with over 4,000 names of undergraduates who wanted the Student Union to take up advocating for BDS as a priority. And then Hillel, Ontario swooped in. Along with the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, there were a lot of scrutiny placed on these signatures, they investigated them apparently as a result of different types of pressure at different moments about a thousand signatures were lost. And so we're at 3,900 signatures, but it was still enough to trigger the referendum. Huh, and on the 21st, they had a debate, but the referendum happened and it lost. Tabernacle, yeah. The universe... do, you have, do you have numbers? So the final tally was 1,887 voting yes and 2,329 voting no. So there was a 442 vote margin there. It's pretty terrible, yeah. The, the students have spoken.
1: I don't know if I would frame it exactly that way, but yes. That's one way of looking at it.
0: Yeah, and the Center for Israel Jewish Affairs in Hill, Ontario, and the Simon Wiesenthal Center were all talking about how this was a stunning victory for the forces of Zionism.
1: Uh, do you think they would identify it as a bigger or lesser victory than the act of BDS undertaken by Paul Bromfman against the University of York? Do you want to explain a bit what, what <laughs> yeah. you're talking about to everybody? I didn't look into it too much, but from what I gather, there was some art contest at, the, at York University and some painting depicting a Palestinian... In some form of resistance, won some medal of some kind at this award. Yeah, and that was a while back. And They put it up on the wall. And then Paul Bronfman, some macher, who gives money to York University, decided to take away his donation, which one would identify as a boycott, possibly, or yeah. a sanction, because he maybe? saw
0: Because he saw the poster.
1: And, well, not the poster, the painting. Yeah, and he thought it and was... And York a... refused to take it down at his bidding.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Some reverse BDS going on at York University.
1: Ontario, what a time. So we spent a bunch of time talking about how the framework of intersectionality has now become boogeyman number one amongst institutional Jewish community sources.
0: Yeah, and this was on full display at the National LGBT Task Force's Creating Change Conference that happened a few weeks ago in Chicago and all the controversy surrounding the canceled pinkwashing campaign that came out of it.
1: So instead of talking about this alone in Studio B at CKUT, we decided to reach out to someone who wrote an article about the conference, and the mobilizing that
0: happened there. So I joined on the line by Liza Barrett, who is an organizer with the Boston chapter of Jewish Voice for Peace and wrote an article in Haaretz entitled Shutting Down a Pinkwashing Event is a Smart, Legitimate Protest Against Israel's Occupation. Uh, Thanks for talking with us, Liza.
3: Thank you for having me on, Shannon and David.
0: So to start off, for people who are listening who have maybe heard about the, uh, the National LGBT Task Force's Creating Change Conference and the Jewish press's interest in it, can you just tell people what actually happened there?
3: Sure. So, as you said, the Creating Change Conference is the largest annual LGBT gathering in the U.S. And this year, a session was held by the group A Wider Bridge, which is an international organization devoted to building relationships between LGBT Israelis and LGBT Jews and non-Jews around the world for the purpose of improving Israel's image. Um, This comes out of an Israeli government strategy called Brand Israel to distract people around the world from Israel's reputation for violence, for religiosity, for oppression of Palestinians, and to instead reorient people to think of Israel as a modern and hip place with lots of technological innovation and environmental sustainability and um, liberal values. And a big part of that is focusing on Israel's relatively positive record on gay rights. So a wider bridge represents a part of Brand Israel that activists call pinkwashing to distract people from oppression of Palestinians by pointing them to Israel's record on gay rights. The effect of this is to You know, portray Palestinians as backwards, not liberal people in order to make Israel look like the good guys in comparison. So it draws on a lot of racism, Islamophobia, Orientalism, and really harmful stereotyping. This is what the activist group that called itself Cancel pinkwashing, a coalition of many different social justice organizations and queer community groups opposed. They did not want a wider bridge to promote this kind of violent messaging at an LGBT activism conference.
1: So in the last few days, the Jewish press has been painting this entire event as a prime example of anti-Semitism in North America. Could you talk a little bit about how that's being framed and why that's wrong?
3: Yes, I can. This cancel pinkwashing coalition initially wrote a letter to the task force before the conference asking for the reception with a wider bridge to be canceled. The task force did cancel the event, but then a backlash from organizations supportive of Israeli policies, including many Jewish organizations, led the task force to reverse their decision. So Palestinian activists and their allies who showed up to the conference were quite upset that their demands to create a conference that was safe for queer Muslim, Arab and Palestinian people had been overrode. So a protest happened outside of the wider bridge reception. Jewish people attending that reception felt uncomfortable and were upset that their event was protested. And the media Portrayal in a lot of Jewish newspapers and blogs has been that protesters didn't want an Israeli event or didn't want a Jewish event taking place at the conference. That is a gross oversimplification of the political line that these protesters were putting forward. Protesters were saying everyone is welcome at this conference, people of all identities, including Jewish people, including Israeli people, but we don't want a group with an explicitly anti-Palestinian agenda to have a platform here to take the stories of Israeli queer people and use them to erase the stories of Palestinians, including queer Palestinian people. It's really unfortunate that certain voices in the Jewish press are taking legitimate Jewish trauma, Jewish fear... That's inherited from many generations of anti-Semitism and manipulating that to say that this protest that was about ending oppression was about hating Jewish people.
1: The articles about this conference have been coupled with a fair amount of writing in the Jewish media about intersectionality in various manifestations. I'm wondering if you see a connection between the discussions around intersectionality and around the conference.
3: Um, so this canceled washing protest was incredible. I was not there at the conference, but um, I watched on Twitter as people that I've met in so many different social movements, in so many different places, all came together to protest this event. You know, it was It was hundreds of queer people basically saying, we don't want Palestinian people left out of our queer spaces. We don't want... Israeli government apologists to take up space at this conference that is supposed to be for all queer people. And many of the signs that people held at these protests linked a wider bridge and their pinkwashing reception to other issues that were palpable at the conference. For example, a session was going to be held with um, officials from Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE. That was cancelled after much backlash. At the same time, there were protests against the white supremacy that exists in many LGBT organizations. So this was a protest not just about opposing Israeli policies, but about making a queer community in the United States that is welcoming to all queer people and not just to gay, white people with a lot of other privileges.
0: So coming out of this conference, what is your perspective on how this fits into the broader campaign of pinkwashing and of Brand Israel?
3: So this protest really marked a turning point in the LGBT community. Because for a long time, pinkwashing efforts have been pretty ubiquitous in queer spaces. And this has made those spaces unsafe for queer Palestinians and queer Muslim and queer Arab people. And we can expect more of these protests at more LGBT community events. I think this is forcing LGBT activists to be more thoughtful about who we partner with and why and what the intentions are of these groups. And more specifically, I think this is a a turning point for progressive Jews. Um, Protests against Israeli policies are spreading really quickly to all different spheres, and Progressive Jews need to figure out where we're going to stand in these debates, whether we're going to put ourselves on the side of opposing progress for Palestinians, or whether we're going to work through the insecurities and fear that we have around justice for Palestine and accept that we need to support human rights.
0: Eliza, thanks so much for speaking with us today.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That
1: was our interview with Liza Bernd. If you would like to read the article that she wrote, we will be posting it in the show notes as we normally do.
0: Yeah, and uh, we like to close off the shows with a recommendation of some kind. And today, the recommendation we wanted to give was to check out an open letter that was written by Jews of Color in reference to the canceled pinkwashing protest that happened at the Creating Change conference.
1: And at risk of becoming the person who always talks about the show notes, you can also find a link to this open letter on the show notes.
0: Yeah, uh, we wanted to include the perspective of folks who are actually at the conference and on the ground in Chicago, linking this to ongoing organizing that's happening in that city. Um, Unfortunately, we weren't able to do that. So in the show notes, if you'd like to get a bit more context, uh, you can check that out there as well.
1: Yeah, so there was a statement that was put out by Black Lives Matter in Chicago. There was also a series of posts on Medium that were put up by the folks who were organizing the cancel pinkwashing events. So that's our recommendation for
0: today i see you in two weeks.
1: Trafe is Sam Bick and David Zinman. A huge thanks to CKUT, which is located in the shadow of the giant cross of secularism on occupied Kanagahaga territory. Thank you to our director of design, Claire Hertig, to Sex Syndrome for the music, and to our social media director, Kira Page. If you're interested in listening to our biweekly podcast, you can find the show on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr at Trafe, T R E Y F, or send comments and suggestions to TrafePodcast at gmail.com. With like a duh. I <speaking> just, it's that. a song that I imagine playing as it goes. Na, 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 na,